Hello and welcome to Dino Responds, a discussion with focus on the everyday stories that connect us all. My name is Daniel Christie and today, the migrant crisis in Greece. What is happening and is COVID-19 having an impact there too? Find out as Darnell responds. So we still have these uh, camps, reception centers, uh, or hotspots, are they called, on the islands, which are the main entry points for any asylum seeker, migrant, refugee coming from Turkey to Greece uh, via sea. Uh, they're arriving on one of these five islands normally, sometimes other islands too, but there's these main reception uh, facilities, which are called identification centers, and everyone who arrives on the shores, or the Greek shores, from Turkey, is taken to that camp. Daphne Tollis is a journalist and filmmaker on the front line, reporting on the migrant crisis in Greece. She's been reporting on the crisis for the past five years and joins me today to give us more insight. Good afternoon. Hi, Daphne. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. I'm here in Athens. Lovely to hear from you again. I hope you're keeping safe. You too. You too. Daphne explains what happens as migrants arrive to these camps. They're taken there to be uh, screened, fingerprinted, uh, actually say whether they are seeking for asylum or not. They have to like say, yeah, I'm here to seek asylum. And then all this screening process starts and then they file their request for asylum and all this has to be checked. European asylum support officers are there. So interviews on their own language. It's, it's like a process that takes quite uh, a long time. And, and where are the majority of people coming from? So on the islands at the moment, the 50% are of all the population are from Afghanistan. Then there's like a, the next nationalities uh, is Syria and Iraq, Palestine, Somalia, and many other nationalities, uh, as UNHCR have identified, uh, up to 60 nationalities. Can you talk to me about how these people are feeling once they sort of arrive to these camps? I've been following this since 2015, so I've been to these camps many times. But in the beginning, when they would arrive on this uh, on these islands through the sea, and they were, you know, maybe you've seen these images, people were crying, were very emotional. But they knew that they were going to move forward. Now they uh, arrive here and they're stuck. I mean, they're happy on on the one hand because they're in Europe. They've arrived in Europe, uh, but then they kind of lose hope and they become more and more desperate because they don't know uh, when this process is going to feel. It's, it's just the uncertainty is there for a long time. Maybe they're going to be stuck there for who knows how long. So, and again, living in these conditions, which, like, for example, when a camp uh, in Moria on the island of Lesbos is for 3,000 people and there's like uh, 18,500 at the moment, uh, the conditions are far from ideal. Yeah, please talk to me about the conditions. What what are people having to face in these camps? The, these camps were never nice to live in. They're actually horrible, uh, the situation, and the conditions are dire. There is like a, it's a camp, a former uh, military base, let's say a Greek former military base, and it was designed for 
in the beginning it was designed for 2,000 people, then for 2,500, and now it's up to 3,100 people because they've brought these housing containers, which they sometimes stack one on top of the other. And in one container, they can live up to eight people at the same time. Uh, so it's like 30 square meters, I think. Wow, that's so such a small space. Yes. And uh, then there's the majority of the people do not fit in, in the premises of the actual camp. So they've spread out uh, across and around the camp, which is, there's like a jungle, let's say. They call it a jungle, but it's basically an olive grove. And they've been setting up tents and uh, other structures, uh, let's say, with wood. They actually build some structures, which they then put tarps on. Uh, they make windows, they cut them with, you know, with whatever, they, scissors, whatever means they have available. They make a base so whenever it rains, the mud will not go in the tent. So they actually, like, build little houses out of basic material and woods. And so the migrants, they're having to do this completely by themselves? Yes, they, they're having to do this by themselves because when they arrive, they may be given like they may be given like a sleeping bag and uh and a tent which is for you know sleeping on the beach um a very small tent for the beach and that's all that's it wow i mean i'm really trying to kind of picture what someone must be going through especially once they've sort of come from where they have and often had to cross you know very dangerous situations and and finally arrive to greece when they finally do they find themselves in such these conditions, it must be absolutely horrific. Yeah, exactly. And in these conditions, that they have no, not enough information apart from their own network. They don't know, you know, what's happening. It's very difficult for people to access information, although we have internet, you know, and everything. But it's very difficult for them to understand what's going on in Greece, in Europe. Why is it taking so long? Why people can't leave the island and they're stuck there because you know they have to be there until they get the stamp which says now you can leave yeah it, it does sound very confusing from all levels i can imagine as as a migrant um but i think even looking more kind of globally we see that even greece um the eu are still sort of confused about what's what has to happen um i remember seeing some footage about a month ago of turkish police sort of forcing people to enter greece and um, kind of threatening people at gunpoint i mean these scenes must be so shocking especially as a migrant you're fleeing for your life you're looking to find somewhere safe and then you kind of encounter this as well and meanwhile a lot of the greek authorities are trying to push them back into turkey it just seems like a lot of back back and forth no one seems to really know exactly where these migrants should be exactly and this this happened at the uh, land border the Greek um, government thought that there would be thousands of people coming there, and they were saying that they averted more than 50,000 people from crossing. And uh, then we've seen, yeah, footage and reports, some confirmed, some unconfirmed, that they were pushing people. Turkish uh, authorities were pushing people into Greece. Greeks were pushing them back. Uh, there were shots, you know, fired. There were a couple of deaths. Wow. That's just, um, it's absolutely tragic. What sort of challenges do you think 
then that this is posing on a humanitarian level? Is it highlighting anything in particular? Well, when it uh, started, let's say in 2015, because of, uh, rem- you remember Island Kurdi, the little boy that uh, whose body was found on, on the shores of uh, Turkey. Yeah. And then somehow this kind of mobilized people, uh, solidarity, and people were shocked. How can this be possible? And like over 2015 and 2016, people were more welcoming, uh, assisting, and governments as well across like Europe. So then you could see that there was a more, uh, let's say, pro-refugee, pro-migrant uh, face shown mm-hmm. from Europe's perspective or from Europe's population, or at least that was at least what uh, was coming out. And uh, then this slowly, slowly started to change. I don't know if it was the, the attacks that happened or, you know, the terrorist attacks in Paris, or it just slowly became the, the rhetoric of some governments uh, turning to far-right policies and then people following and somehow the populations of several European countries thought that, okay, the migrants are to blame for everything. They're threatening threatening our livelihoods and playing this populist card yeah so on a humanitarian level it's quite scary i would say and threatening because now you see more and more people seeing other people coming to europe because they're fleeing either conflict or war yeah um that they seeing them as threat as well so instead of you know protecting their rights and sticking to the rights then you see policies uh trying to take away slowly take away the rights of the people And I think we're definitely seeing this throughout Europe. I mean, even in the UK where I am, you know, a lot of the rhetoric around Brexit was even about uh, even European migrants. I think the whole idea of, you know, foreigners supposedly coming um, is something that a lot of politicians have tried to play to their advantage, um, which is obviously quite disappointing, especially when these people, a lot of these people who in in this context are fleeing war and, you know, political persecution. Exactly. Um, but now, obviously, we have to mention the coronavirus in this context. Um, now, this is, I guess, particularly frightening considering the already terrible, squalid conditions that many people are living in. So how is the coronavirus actually having an impact on the people in these camps? So they can't leave the camp. They can't leave the facility. Imagine this camp, which is overcrowded, like five times, six times, seven times, ten times its capacity, depending on the camp. Uh, there's just like a structure with a gate, okay, with containers. And imagine that these people that are there, all of them, they are not allowed to leave the premises. There's police stopping them from going to the main town. So essentially, they, they're in lockdown as well. They're in lockdown. They're in complete lockdown uh, until le- next week, actually. But it might, mm-hmm. we don't know, it might uh, go on for uh, longer than that and they have to buy things from within the camp from other shops that other migrants have set up or locals as well Uh, they can't have access to other services outside the camp unless they have some medical um, need 
Right. And they have to also keep the measures, the same measures that everyone else has to, to keep, which is obviously uh, impossible. Of course, of course. Social distancing and uh, and obviously you can't even have the personal hygiene that you're supposed to because you don't even have these masks uh, or you yeah. have to make them yourselves unless some NGOs give you some. There is not enough water in most of the camps because the islands have a problem with water anyway. So imagine that there's a camp designed for an ex number of people and then you have five times this number of people that you don't have the water resource you don't have the, the facilities electricity uh, it's not enough sometimes you have uh, blackouts let's say uh, it cuts off and it comes back again and uh, if there's no water then you can't properly wash your hands hands of course it's impossible yeah if there's not hot water maybe one hour two hours throughout the whole day people have to wash their their dishes with that they have to wash themselves they have to wash their clothes um, yeah, and, the, and basically the ground is like mud or soil hmm. and garbage as well. Garbage is another problem because they they throw stuff, they throw all these garbage there and then uh, the municipal workers can only collect uh, again some amount of it, not everything. And then they have to take it wherever they take it and then come back. But, you know, there's a lot of garbage uh, because, you know, everything is in plastic and in cans and in sort of... Um, containers so I, I in these conditions i guess as well tensions are obviously clearly rising um i've seen quite a few riots um for example i think a couple of weeks ago or maybe come up to a month ago now in the vial camp um there were some intense fires being witnessed i've also heard more recently in the samos camp too they've been some sort of fires <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And the, the Vial camp is on the island of Hios. And what happened is there was uh, one uh, Iraqi woman who was sick. She went to the hospital. Then she was released from the hospital. They told her she was fine. Maybe she had some other heart. She had some other conditions. I don't know heart conditions or some other underlying conditions. And then she went back to the camp and she was eating. And she somehow, uh, let's say, she choked on her own food. But uh, then uh, the reports were that she had a stroke, she had a heart attack, who knows. She was definitely sick before because she had uh, been admitted to the hospital, then taken out, then brought back to the camp, and this happened. And she left her, like she's a mother, she was a mother, and uh, her husband yeah. was there, so her children are there. And then the people the, from Iraq, they protested, and they started fire, fires, and they started... Uh, uh, you know, reacting to what was happening, yeah. basically to protest uh, against these conditions mm. and the mm. uncertainty and everything, all this frustration that they feel. Uh, I think it's just, you know, a way of somehow releasing it. Although, you know, obviously it's they're, they're destroying their own camp. But uh, it depends. There's some groups, like smaller groups, that may be initiating these, uh, let's say, tensions. Like they may be re initiating people or somehow calling people to, to join the protests and stuff. Smaller groups, uh, which is the same thing happened on Samos. On Samos, uh, there was one group of... Uh, one group of migrants, one ethnic group, let's say, you know, was the sub-Saharan Africans or someone from, some people from Somalia and DRC, they had electricity. Mm -hmm. And then there was the Arab population, they didn't have electricity or vi vice versa. I don't remember which one it was, but they had access yeah. to electricity. And that was the cause because one group was uh, requesting the other group to 
grant them, you know, the also the access to electricity because after nine o'clock they had no light and they were scared to walk around or the children on theirs they find like snakes, harmless snakes, but still or scorpions, that's what they were telling me. So they're saying like, you know, we need electricity, we can't live without electricity. Yeah, no one no one would want to live like that at all. Um I, I heard also there were reports of refugees being shot at in camps. Has, has this been true? And, and who's been doing this? That was on uh, the island of uh, Lesbos again. During the lockdown period, there, there were three or four Iranian asylum seekers that they kind of left the premises of the camp and started walking on the, on the road. But the next village was anyway three or four kilometers away, let's say. And there was this local farmer who has a gun because obviously they also hunt there. So he had a hunting rifle and he shot uh, towards them as they were walking. He shot towards them and one man was injured, basically was shot in the back. The others were not Mm. that much injured, but uh, they could, I mean, it could have been fatal, you know, and there's... That's because they wanted, you know, to protest. Again, the locals were saying like, Oh, then we're going to take the matter in our own hands. That man, yeah, he was arrested and everything. He was taken to court. And he said that, um, I didn't mean to do that, but uh, they've been stealing our sheep. They've been breaking and entering and, you know, in our farms and stuff, stealing. So this has been also uh, the debate between, let's say, the local governors and the migration minister and the NGOs. I guess... For when looking at sort of the Greek people who are on the front line as well, the local communities, the people who are sort of in the periphery of the camp, how how is this impacting them in in different ways, and are they fearing the spread of the virus as well? Um, definitely, many are fearing the spread of the virus. For example, the mayor of Samos today sent a letter to the migration minister asking him to defer the lifting of the measures for the for the migrants so that they can they will stay for longer under lockdown because of that using like this mm. which of course i mean it is a it is it is a valid concern that people will have but at the same time maybe it's also used you know uh, as well for um, yeah. for basically making migrants stay in the camps and so that the local community does not see them. What is the Greek government actually doing um, in the response to this crisis uh, for, the, for the refugees but also for the Greek citizens, the locals as well? Well, uh, this government now is only in power since uh, July and it came mm-hmm. to power saying that we're going to deal with a migration crisis in Greece we're going to deport people back. We're going to stop uh, people from coming. Uh, and obviously now they're seeing that this is not as easy as they thought. I mean, it's a, it's a real difficult issue to, to handle. And uh, they're always, I mean, the migra- first of all, they abolished the migration ministry as soon as they, <laughs> they came into power. Wow. And six months later, they reinstated it because, you know, they saw it was needed. And they assigned the migration minister and everything. So yes, they're saying now that they're going to do closed centers on the islands, mm-hmm. which means that uh, all the migrants will have to stay inside and go out with card, like with a, you know, with a barcode. They will have to scan yeah. uh, upon the entrance and the exit, and will have only a few hours or some hours during the day that they will be allowed out, and then the yeah. camp will close. 
then they they changed the the law they passed a new bill uh, saying that they're going to speed up the asylum requests because it took up to six months to process one asylum but now like it, they say it's going to happen in one month for example do you think that's possible um i think yeah i mean it could be possible but mm-hmm. here again there's another concern because uh, you can accelerate the process of the asylum applications but the the concern that many also humanitarian organizations put is that you might do that or you will be doing that at the cost of uh, you know not actually being efficient and fair yeah yeah so more rejections and then then uh, the migration minister also said and the greek government that they're going to speed up deportations back to turkey on that note um, I've noticed that Greece now is also requesting much more international help because it's quite hard to manage all of these situations. Um, and I guess there has been some sort of hope in one sense. We've seen the other EU countries such as, such as Germany are accepting more migrants. Um, I think it was on the 18th of April, about 50 unaccompanied migrants were sent to Germany um, Luxembourg is taking similar actions. Switzerland is going to contribute 1.1 million Swiss francs to support the Greek mm. to support Greece. Is this a hope for Greece, or do you think it's not enough? I think that um, obviously funds are needed to implement various programs. Like for example, now people, vulnerable people that have to be taken out of the island, out of the camps, elderly people, uh, single moms. Uh, families with newborn babies, people with disabilities, uh, they're taken away from these camps and put into accommodation temporarily, hotels that are rented um, by international organizations, UN organizations like UNHCR, the International Organization for Migration. These You need these funds, which all come from the European Commission. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the locals and Sometimes the mayors that I've spoken to, they say, we don't want, you know, that's their argument. We don't want any of the money. We want everyone out from here. We want, we don't want anyone. More money means that we, you keep us, uh, you keep the people here, you keep the camps. We don't want any more camps here. We don't want any more migrants. We just want our lives and our islands back to how they were before. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess finally now, the, the big question on everyone's mind would be, what is going to happen next? Um, obviously, not everyone will be granted asylum, and we've already seen that you know people will be sent back. But for those who will be left behind and living in these camps, what what is the future for them? Yeah, first of all, they can't live in these camps; they have to go somewhere else because with the new law that was um, voted in Parliament introduced by this current government. Uh, as soon as they are granted their refugee status or international protection, they are no longer eligible for cash assistance right. and they have to find their own uh, accommodation. Sometimes there is like another program running in, uh, in, in Greece, again with funds from the European Commission and implemented by the UN organizations uh, where they rent apartments owned by Greeks for a certain amount of time or for but then they just put families rotating families in these but again as soon as you get your status then uh, you're on your own you have to leave you're given like one month let's say 
now. That's the new. That's that's going to be very difficult because they'll be given they're given one month to leave and find their own way. Because now, okay, you have your status, they say, and you're a recognized refugee. So now you have to integrate and live as any other person living in Greece. Obviously, going from a camp, from conditions in the camp when you don't even have the basics, uh, to being in a city or in a town, in a village, not speaking the language, it's, it's, it's impossible to integrate. So the problem of integration is very big because you're asking for people to be self-reliant, but uh, you haven't provided them any help to, to get in doing in that. Doing that. Yeah. Exactly. And you've they actually spent eight months, ten months uh, in a camp in dire conditions. And then you just put them back in society with no preparation and no help, no assistance, nothing. So that's going to be a real challenge. Of course, of course. Well... Thank you so much, Daphne. I really appreciate this this wonderful insight. Um, it's been really interesting to kind of see what's going on on the ground and how people are, are sort of reacting. So thank you really greatly for, for that insight. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. It was very nice. That was Daphne Tollis, a journalist and filmmaker reporting on the migrant crisis in Greece. Now, in a while... We'll be speaking to another journalist, Valentina Anaxtopoulou, who will talk to us more about what's happening in the background concerning the crisis. But first, how did we get here? Let's get some context. A couple of months ago, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan decided to open its borders with Greece, saying that Turkey would no longer retain the hundreds of thousands of asylum seekers in its territory from reaching Europe. Erdogan had said that, quote, We expect concrete support from all our allies in the fight that Turkey has been carrying out alone. No European country has the luxury to remain indifferent. Erdogan has repeatedly demanded more support from the EU in handling the crisis and previously already threatened to open the gates to Europe for fleeing Syrian migrants. Some EU countries, however, have accused the Turkish president of blackmail, using refugees as pawns in this political turmoil. A 2016 deal between Turkey and the EU was agreed upon, in which Turkey would host at least 3.6 million refugees from Syria before receiving any EU aid. The EU says it has already paid about half of the promised 6 billion euros to help Turkey finance housing, schools and medical centres for the refugees. Despite this, there continues to be several disagreements and in early March, the two sides met in Brussels for talks. But to no avail, discussion was ceased with the Turkish president choosing to head straight for the airport instead of a news conference with EU presidents Ursula von der Leyen and Charles Michel. Migrants need support, Greece needs support, needs support, but also Turkey needs support, and this involves finding a path forward with Turkey. Clearly, we do There is have no sanctuary for many of the migrants coming to Greece. Despite being among some of the most vulnerable, they are the ones also paying a large price. And now, with the threat of coronavirus, the challenge faced by migrants and the organisations trying to protect them is growing rapidly. With me, I have freelance journalist Valentini Anagnostopoulou, who's on the front line, also reporting on the crisis. The migrant crisis has 
um, has become of, of something of a long story here in in Greece. Like it is uh, evolving every single month. We see something different. Some things do remain the same, uh, like the human stories, um, the, the the lives of the people, what they're looking for. It's it's always the same, and I I, I have the feeling that it has always been the same. Like migration tells always the same story people striving uh for a better life or for life period so please valentina tell me what's happening what is behind this whole crisis let me take things from the beginning let's say at the peak of the civil war in syria it was 2015 and it was the outbreak of the refugee crisis in in Greece. Like uh, in 2015, we saw a massive influx of refugees, mostly coming to the Greek border islands of the Eastern Aegean. In only one year, about 850,000 migrants landed in Greece. On the island of Lesbos alone, where the infamous refugee camp of Moria is, uh, 1,200 people were arriving on average per day. 1,200 people. These numbers were huge. And considering that we had never seen anything like this before, and it was not only the number of arrivals, but it was also uh, the tragedies, overloaded rubber dinghies, crossing rough, dangerous seas. I mean, the people who drowned during this year, it was a record high number. Wow. So how is the international community sort of managing this? Greece itself was, considering Greece was at the time right in the middle of its own economic crisis, this was an explosion the country was completely unprepared to cope with. And it seems that Europe was also unprepared to cope with this. Most of these people who arrived in 2015 continued their journey to other European countries because, of course, Greece was not their final destination. But in winter 2016, various Balkan countries, one after another, with like a domino effect, started closing their borders and we had the closure of the Balkan route. So refugees were uh, trapped within their borders. Uh, many, many uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees were stranded in Greece. And this massive influx and the closure of the Balkan road is what led to the EU-Turkey deal in March 2016. So what is that what's impacting on, on this situation? Uh, I know a lot of countries, uh, particularly in that Balkan region, are closing many of their borders. Um, I know countries, particularly like Hungary, for example, have seen quite a large rise in um, kind of fascist ideas and really quite um, strong anti-immigrant sort of feeling coming from those countries what what is the impact there i am happy to report that despite the fact that in greece there was like at the time especially at the time there was um a rise of the far right um the main the the massive response to the migra- uh, to the migration crisis was solidarity coming from the greek people I think solidarity is what prevailed rather than um, hatred and bigotry. So I would say that the economic crisis uh, fueled more the far right than the migration crisis. Um, Definitely there are extreme voices. Uh, Definitely 
lately local societies um, are fed up with what's going on on the islands, but still there are very few extreme right fascist voices coming forward. Right, I see. Um, so kind of looking at the different organisations as well that are evol- involved in the crisis, can you talk to me about what they're doing? Um, who who are sort of the key players who are helping to mitigate this crisis? Um, so as, as I said before, uh, 2015 caught Greece completely, um, Greece was completely unprepared to deal with this. And I have seen with my own eyes that if it wasn't for the NGOs, refugees and migrants would be lost, especially during this first months or even years, I would say. It was aid workers, aid organizations that jumped in and played a key role in managing this crisis. It was the UNHCR. Uh, it was um, many health organizations such as uh, Doctors Without Borders and many, many other bigger and smaller NGOs and volunteers who just rushed from every corner of Europe. They rushed to the Greek border islands and did everything they could to help ease the pain and manage all the needs these people had and also the local societies had. They filled in a huge gap. That's really interesting about um, on kind of the local level as well because I've got recent reports and heard that there's a bit of tension being built between NGOs and locals. Could you tell me a little bit about what this may be about? Of course, yeah. I would say that especially during this past year, um, well, over the past five years, let's say that tension has been building up, building up uh, inside local societies, and um, they have expressed their anger many times. They have expressed their disappointment. They have made appeals to the central government, but the situation on the islands is not getting any better, and hasn't gotten any better within these five years. So. Um, Anger has been gathering up in local societies. And during this past year, there was an outbreak of of these feelings, negative feelings, uh, against pretty much anyone. And NGOs are at the top of this list because a part of locals feel that uh, NGOs facilitate refugees coming to Greece. They make it easy for them. And there are some allegations from uh, parts of local societies that they are uh, in contact with um, uh, smugglers and making it easier for them even to come to Greece. Of course, nothing has been proved, uh, but there are some you know, fake news and allegations circulating. And um, when there is this ground of anger and disappointment, uh, it's easy to have um, extreme reactions. So, yeah, I witnessed myself on the island of Lesbos this past February, beginning of March, uh, some extremely violent outbreaks against NGO workers uh, and journalists working on the island of Lesbos in particular. Um, it It was a very bad time to be there. And in these five years, I had never seen anything similar. I mean, we were genuinely afraid for our lives. A big part of aid workers had to leave the island within two days. They packed and left because they were so much afraid uh, for their life and for their uh, physical integrity. So what impact, um, I guess, 
is this having on the aid workers and and journalists? How is this affecting reporting, people actually being able to carry out the work? Um, it was something we had never seen before in in five years of reporting on the islands. It was it was something completely new, and it really uh, we froze. I mean, for for three or four days, there were attacks on journalists as well uh, during this this week. It was a week actually, um, and we, I have to say we froze. I mean, we were we it was so difficult to do our work and report and. We were constantly all together, I mean, international journalists on the island looking out for each other. It was practically impossible to do our work. And then I have said the coronavirus uh, crisis broke out. So everyone had to leave the island anyway. Uh, I hope that I will be going back in the next month, in the following months. And I'm really wondering now if things have changed, if I think tensions are eased now, um, but it's an ongoing crisis, a migration crisis, and I don't, I'm not 100% sure I will ever be I'm feeling 100% safe again. Um, I hope it was just, just a, a tantrum <laughs> that will go away, uh, but it also depends on what the government is really going to do about the actual problems the islands are facing. These people are outraged and they have some reasons for it. It's not completely irrational. Of course, violence is always to be condemned and extreme behaviors. But I think there is an underlay of, of really reasonable complaints there. So what is it that the local people want solved mostly? It's the overcrowded camps that create a big problem. Just imagine there is only five islands on the on the eastern in the eastern Aegean, the five Greek border islands that are closest uh, to Turkey, and these are the five islands that receive ninety percent, let's say, of the migrants who are coming who are leaving Turkey, coming to Greece to Europe. And not to mention that now, obviously, the coronavirus has come. So that's, I'm imagining, has completely intensified the situations there as well. Absolutely. And it, it also has intensified relations, um, I mean, the equilibrium with the social, uh, with, um, with local societies who are also afraid of um, an outbreak of the virus um, in the camps. Um, luckily, we have absolutely no COVID-19 cases reported on the island camps. Um, which is nothing short of a miracle because everyone everyone who has ever been at these camps was thinking that uh, if uh, if we have like one case, it will go to a thousand within just a few days. These islands have very small populations. On the island of Samos, um, for example, the refugee camp is right, it's adjacent to uh, the capital of the island. And the, popula- the refugee population to local population is one-to-one right now. Wow. So you understand this, this has put so much pressure on the island communities. It, they feel that the cohesion of the community um, is threatened. These are people who had never, like, it's a small island. They have never encountered other migrants, economic migrants, or anything like that. Uh, so... It has spurred some xenophobic uh, feeling, but there are also real problems such as um, 
their tourism is ruined because when when these islands are only associated in world in worldwide news, they're only associated with the migrant crisis. It's highly unlikely for a European citizen to choose one of these islands for their holidays. So they say that their economy um, has taken a serious blow. The tourism has taken a serious blow. Um, there's the social cohesion is suffering, but also. They say that like we welcomed these people when they first arrived. We gave them everything we had because we feel their pain, and we we are solid. We are standing in solidarity with them, but we just can't have this anymore. And they can't have this anymore. They are living in terrible conditions on our islands, and we are not going um, to have this any longer. Do you feel that it's slightly unfair, perhaps that? A lot of pressure has been placed on Greece in managing this crisis. I feel like a lot of what the government has to say is that they are not; they should not be the only ones sort of bearing the brunt of this. And um, we even hear her Turkey saying similar things uh, a couple of months ago. Um, but now, I guess we are seeing a bit more action being taken by other EU member states, but. Do you think they're a bit too slow? Is there still a growing reluctance among other EU nations? Yes, of where we're standing, I think that's that's becoming obvious. The relocations to other European uh, countries are being extremely slow in these five years. That we have not seen the response we were expecting uh, from other uh, European countries in shouldering this burden. Let's say. Slowly, there. Uh, actually, this government announced uh, recently there is a, a voluntary program where other EU or European countries are, are participating in uh, taking unaccompanied minors uh, to their countries. But again, they it is voluntary. I mean, it's out of their goodwill that they're doing this. And we have seen many uh, European countries actually and plainly denying hosting any any refugees like Hungary for example or Austria they have just said that and there is not a plan that everyone is sticking to yeah do you see any possible future anything that could perhaps bring these countries together and help to actually resolve what's happening in in this region I think the only way this can be resolved is going back to its roots I mean how did it all start? War and conflict is what started this um, this migration crisis, and this is, I think, this is the only way it can stop. But I, honestly, I don't see following international politics. I don't see um, real interest in in doing that. I, I don't see this spirit of uh, cooperation that would end conflict or war. Middle East, in Syria, uh, anytime soon. So the best thing we can do is see how we can best manage the crisis. But we always have to remember that we're talking about people here. It's not just numbers. It's not just data. It's um, human lives and uh, human talents and aspirations and hopes and like actual people we are dealing with. And we have to see it that way. And it's Sometimes it's difficult when you're sitting in an office. Very true. Thank you so much, Valentini. This has been really, really insightful. I really appreciate your time on that. You're welcome. Thank you so much.
and the Greek government responded to this humanitarian crisis in a way that belittles the needs of refugees. This is the first time after World War II that Europe as a whole gives so much emphasis on incarceration and ghettoization. Now it's all normalized with the right to asylum becoming a less and less absolute principle and with detention considered no more as a measure of last resort but as normality. This is Vasilis Sarnas, Greek Helsinki monitor and a member of the Humanist Union in Greece. He explains his view on the crisis and what this means from a humanitarian perspective. What is new is the fact that Greece was the first state that officially violated the Geneva Convention, voting a law to suspend asylum for a month. This month was a period of officializing pushbacks and violence at the border, including crimes committed by Nazi and far-right perpetrators. Racism is deep-rooted in Europe. We urgently need to relay the foundations for a democratic Europe that will stop turning a blind eye to the revival of fascism. Otherwise, states like Greece or Hungary or Poland that are barely operating according to the rule of law, especially when it comes to the treatment of minorities, will be setting a bad example for all Europe. There is always hope, though. In the beginning of this humanitarian crisis, so many people came in Greece, from all over Europe. It was a movement of solidarity with those who escaped war and threats, and also with their host country. It is really encouraging to see that despite continuous attacks against all sorts of human rights defenders by Nazis and other racists, there are still many people insisting to provide help to those in need in any way they can. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. My thanks to Daphne Tollis, Valentini Agnostopoulou and Vasilis Sarnas. Remember, if you enjoyed that episode, rate, share and subscribe too. You can also follow me both on Twitter and Instagram at Darnell underscore Christie to find more content. And of course, as always, don't be afraid to give your suggestions on what you would like to discuss next on Darnell Responds. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll be back soon.